0: Amen. So we are going to turn now to God's word, and we are, we're starting a new sermon series for Lent. Uh, maybe you notice the, the banners behind me uh, in purple, the, the color of the, the season of Lent, that remind us that Jesus was forsaken so that we could be, we could be forgiven. Uh, these beautiful banners that remind us. And, and if you're not familiar with Lent, this is a time in the church year uh, for six Sundays when we reflect, when we take stock of our lives, when we remember that from dust we came and to dust we will return. Where we reflect on, uh, on who Christ is, all that he's done for us, and we prepare our hearts for Holy Week, For Good Friday, when we think about Christ's death. And for Easter, for Easter Sunday, when we remember his resurrection and all that that means in our daily lives. So, as a a faith community, we're going to be looking at the letters that many churches around the world are looking at through the season of Lent. And this morning, uh, we look at a short passage from 1 Peter Chapter 3, It's uh, it'll be up on the screen behind me. These are four verses, 1 Peter 3, 18 to 22. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom all... Also, he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience Toward God, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So, have you guys heard these these stories of uh, you know sort of incredible strength? The the uh, scientists they even call it uh, hysterical strength. Like when when there's uh, someone stuck underneath a car, and you know, in a moment of kind of adrenaline and strength, somebody lifts up the back of the car so that somebody can be freed. Or or you know, there's a tractor overturned on someone, and, and they don't know how they do it, how they did it, but they were able to lift that off of uh, off of the person. You hear these stories every few years and, uh, you know, people sort of debate and explain how, how they could work and how it could be. There was even a story about uh, eight or nine years ago in, uh, outside of Eugene. This guy was pulling a stump out of the back of his, uh, his yard and his, his foot slipped and he hit, the, he hit the wrong pedal and the tractor flipped on him. And the, the, the steering wheel was stuck on his chest. And he's struggling for air. And he's crying out for help. And he even said that he prayed. He asked God to spare him with what he thought were some of his last breaths. And his daughters. He had two teenage daughters, 16 and 14. They call 911, but they're they're thinking, Dad's not going to make it by the time the, the, the folks get out here. So they start trying to lift this tractor a 3,000-pound tractor off of their dad. And they said that on the seventh try of them trying to lift it, they're able to get it up enough that he's able to slide a little bit so that the steering wheel's not on his chest anymore, but it's on his arm. And from there, a a neighbor came over with his tractor and pulled him off, and and they were able to, to save him. And then, you know, the camera crews are there a month later, and you can see that there's some nerve damage in his arm, and and he's got a cast here, but he's alive. (laughs) He's breathing. I mean, he saw his life flash before him, and the girls are trying to explain. They don't know how they did this. They don't know how, but in, in a moment of adrenaline and in a moment of prayer, they're able to move the tractor off their dad so that he survives, the older sister, in the interview, she said, it was like we had a strength we didn't know we had. They had this strength that was inside of them that they never knew that they could have used, but it was there all the time. That was, a, uh, you know, there's been stories about this for a long time, and the, the guy who wrote that that show, I think a lot of us probably watched it in the 70s and 80s, um, you know, Hulk. Incredible Hulk. That, he was inspired by a story like this to write the Incredible Hulk, but it's almost like that. It's almost like uh, a superhero that, has, that they have a strength that they didn't know they had, but in that moment when they needed it, they were able to use it. I think and I believe That just like that, just like those girls had a strength that they didn't know they had, that every believer in Jesus has that as well. That we have a strength that we didn't know we had. And do you know what that strength is? It's Christ. It's Christ. It's His righteousness inside of us. It's His right standing. Him making us good before the Father making us right. It's his righteousness. And it means that we're forgiven and we're free. It means that we have put on his righteousness, you know, like a robe. The Apostle Paul spoke about Christ's righteousness like a robe, like clothing that we put on. And when I think about it, when I visualize it, I think of it like you know a king's robe, a beautiful, marvelous robe that covers me. And even it has a hood that goes over my head that covers my mind and my thoughts and my desires so that they're not my own. They're Christ. They're his righteousness that I put on. So that when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. He sees his righteousness. Verse 18 says that Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus for me. His perfection, his right standing, his sonship before God given to me. Christ for us. So this morning, I just want to unpack this idea of the the righteous for the unrighteous. I want to look at it through three different lenses, we're going to look at why. You know, why why is righteousness needed? Why is this so important that we understand this? To become a Christian, to live as a Christian? And then what? You know, what is righteousness? Because it's not a word that we use every day. It's, you might have some idea of righteousness that's not what the Bible actually teaches. And then third, How? You know, how does Christ give us his righteousness? Why, what, and how righteousness? So let's begin, let's begin with why. Why is righteousness needed? Why is this so important? Verse 18, the, for Christ also suffered once the righteous for the unrighteous. And we have to remember, since we're jumping right into First Peter here, we have to remember the context, that this was a book that was written to a community, the early church that was suffering, that was persecuted, that was going through so much. And this was was Peter's response to them. You know, they were wondering, God, is this this really going to be worth it all? You know, giving up our lives? We're seeing our, our fathers and our mothers and our siblings killed because they believe in Jesus. Is this all going to be worth it? And Peter is saying to them, yes, yes, your suffering is not for nothing. Your suffering and all the trials that you're going through, they will not be wasted. There is a crown of glory coming for you. Perfection with God in the life to come. And so into this context of suffering and this conversation that he's been having about suffering, he goes into our pastors this morning and he says, you know what? Jesus also suffered. Jesus also suffered, even though he was perfectly righteous. And why? Why do we have this conversation? Why do we have this need for righteousness? because it's one of the deepest needs of the human heart. We are always trying to justify ourselves. We're always trying to feel like we're okay. And so often of the time, we're doing that internally, just with ourselves. Like if we live up to our own standard. But the Bible teaches that you'll never get there. You'll never get there without God. We need someone from the outside to not just say how we're doing based on our moods or based on if we've had a good month at the office or, or based on how our relationships are going, but someone from the outside, someone who created us and knows us, to say, you are my child. You are right before me. We all have these standards, you know, that we, that we live up to. And there's, there's a couple of different schools of it, you know, depending on our makeup and depending on our background and depending on our persuasion. There's kind of the legalist standard. You know, if, if, we, if we live up to these laws and think of the Pharisees. You know, they had all these laws and all these ways that they interpreted what God said, misinterpreted. Misinterpreted what God said. And that allowed them to judge everyone else. Because no one else was as good at tithing as them. No one else was as good as praying as them. No one else was as good as all these things in them. So they were able to create a hierarchy and they were at the top. Because they followed all the rules. And that type of legalism and Phariseeism is alive and well today and it goes across the political spectrum it goes across cultures and persuasions because other people are you know maybe more libertarian they just sort of say well we should just let people do whatever they want to do and leave everyone alone and 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 everyone can just be who they're supposed to be but then if you challenge that and if you look at the results of that they'll 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 call you the bigot They'll they'll say that you're infringing on their rights, and they have their own set of standards as well. Everyone without God has this invisible standard that they're all trying to live up to. And we do it in the church too. I have so many conversations with people that are beating themselves up. They just feel like, I've wasted so much time. I've wasted my life. What has it come to? I'm not a good enough dad. I'm not a good enough mom. I'm not a good enough friend. You're judging by the wrong standard. You're looking to all these created things. The Bible calls them idols. Instead of looking to the creator the one who loved you before time began, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, the one who's never left you and never will. What's God's opinion about me? What's the identity that he's given me that I can't sin my way out of, (laughs) that I'll never be bad enough to, to, uh, to be kicked out? That's why righteousness is needed because that's how God created us to be in a relationship with him but we look to all these other things for the standard. The human heart is so longing to be okay, to be good enough. But we can't be good without God. And that's why we need Christ and his righteousness. That is why... And now to what? You know what is righteousness because a lot of you might be picturing something that the Bible doesn't teach. Righteousness isn't just, you know, being a good person. It's not living right. It's not doing all the perfect things. You know, you might be picturing somebody who's really disciplined, who always who's on time everywhere, who's always kind of got it all together, the kind of person that you know, they make a New Year's resolution on January 1st, and on February 21st, they're still keeping that resolution. The kind of person that never, never gains a couple pounds, the kind of person that had a 4.0 grade point in high school. Oh my gosh, who are these people? We could never be like that. The, 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 the folks that, you know, really live by their principles. And that's not what the Bible teaches righteousness is. Because a lot of people have this misunderstanding about Christianity or about the church. If I, I've got to clean up myself. I've really got to get it together. I've got to quit doing all these bad things before I can come to church. And that's not it at all. Jesus takes us just as we are. And the good things that we do, the good works that we do, they're a result of already being in the kingdom. Not trying to earn our way in, not trying to be good enough for God. It's not good behavior that gets you into the kingdom. It's this realization that I'm already in. A child doesn't have to earn their way into the family. They're born into it. They're part of the family. And when we realize that we're in God's family and that nothing we could do or ever change that, we will persevere. Then it makes you thankful. It makes you grateful. And you live a life of gratitude. So what does does the righteous life actually look like? what is righteousness? Verse 18 tells us that it's being made alive in the Spirit. So it's the life of Jesus growing inside of you. It's these dead places in your heart. The hard places. The people that you have trouble forgiving. The, the, the dark places of your life that you're, you can't seem to surrender Completely to God the sin that's clinging to you it's like Ezekiel in the valley of the dry bones and then God comes and he brings all these bones together and he breathes his life into it that's the life that's being made alive in the spirit that's the life of Jesus that's in you That's recreating you. That's letting you go of the old life. And it's making a new you. It's like what God did to Jesus on Easter morning. Raised him from the dead. Made him alive in the Holy Spirit. And then that causes us to think, well, what do we want Easter to look like this year? in my life, in my heart, in my mind? Where do I want to be spiritually on Easter morning? These next six weeks, that's what Lent is about. It's about examining our life. It's about reflecting on where we are. It's about asking God, where do I need to let go? What can I surrender to you and trust trust you for because I know that you are the God that is alive that you're going to bring dead things alive it goes on to say that righteousness is a clear conscience toward God verse 21 a clear conscience toward God and that doesn't mean that we're perfect but it means that we've got Christ's righteousness, and we're living into that reality. Remember, it's like a robe. It's like a robe that we've put on that covers us. And so, you know, what are we we afraid of? What are we afraid of if we have Christ's righteousness on us and upon us? We don't have to be ashamed of anything. We don't have to feel guilty about anything that we've done. We don't have to be, feel ashamed of, of who we are because none of us is perfect. And yet Christ has given us his righteousness so that we can have a clear conscience before God. We, we uh, have this practice as a church that every morning worship service we confess our sins to God. We're honest with him and we're reminded of his grace and called to live uh, like he wants us to live. And that can be really powerful times where God can speak to us, where we feel caught up in this tradition and in these words from scripture. But at least for me, the most powerful times have been one-on-one with a friend. Just to say, you know what? I know I messed up. I know I've got things that I've got to get off my chest. And you kind of just release these things to the person. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I lost my temper. I don't know why I made such a foolish decision. But you find that freedom in speaking to somebody that you trust. And they say to you words like this they say to you, Pete, that is sin. That is sin. They don't minimize it. That is sin against God and against this person. But there is grace. There is grace and mercy for all who believe. You are forgiven. Be at peace. Go and walk. Walk in the grace of Jesus. Walk with him knowing that you're a forgiven sinner, that you can't do anything to be kicked out of the family. Those are the times that are so powerful when I understand what it means to be righteous, to be a son and a child, to be someone with a clear conscience before God. Because at that point you have nothing to hide. Why and what is righteousness? And now, how? How is righteousness given? Well, verse 21 and 22 says that it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. It's through the death and resurrection of Jesus that His righteousness is given to us. Theologians call this the great exchange, where Jesus takes all of my sin and my shame and my guilt, and He takes it upon Himself, and what's exchanged, what's given to me, is Christ's perfect life. That's why it's so important that we believe that Jesus was perfect, that he lived an obedient life from the time he was born until the time he ascended to heaven. He never committed a sin. He was always loving toward everyone around him and loving toward God. This is summed up really well in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, where it says that he he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus Jesus doesn't even know the definition of sin. He's not acquainted with sin at all. He didn't know what it was like to sin. And yet he took all that upon himself on the cross. All of my sin, all of our sin from the past, the present, and the future, And he took it upon himself on the cross. And it was nailed to the cross. And when Jesus was raised on Easter morning, the slate was wiped clean. Our two biggest enemies in life were defeated once forever. Sin and death. Everyone who trusts in Christ by faith Receives that robe of righteousness and is clothed in Christ and is made whole. And at the end of our lives, we don't have to be afraid because Jesus has defeated death and will bring us to be with him. We are given Christ's righteousness. A long time ago, a mentor said to me, Imagine God imagining you smiling. Imagine God imagining you smiling. So think about God, because a lot of us have visions of God that aren't right. Imagine God thinking of us. And He's not up there waving His finger. God's not thinking, oh, not so sure about this one. Where are they gonna go? Up, down, oh. God's not even disappointed in us. When God thinks of us, he smiles. That's why there's these verses all over the Bible where it says that we are the apple of his eye. That God rejoices over us with singing. So just like I used to sing over my newborn babies and rejoice over them and delight in them, God delights in us. Pastor John Piper says this. He says, this is the gospel, the good news that our sins are laid on Christ and his righteousness is laid on us. And that this great exchange becomes ours, not by works, but by faith alone. So you can't earn it. All this good behavior isn't going to earn you that robe of righteousness, but Christ has earned it for you and for me. And then he quotes Ephesians 2, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's righteousness. And it's being poured out on all of us right now. And what are the results? The results are that, you know, people that were cheaters and liars, cheaters become children. And sinners become sons. And people who were despondent and discouraged and depressed become daughters. When we live into this reality that Christ has given us his righteousness and that he's for us and that when we mess up there is grace. There is forgiveness and it doesn't change God's opinion about us. If you've been around here any time at all you know that I'm a big fan of the Olympics you know they're they're supposed to have the Olympics this summer rescheduled from last year and I am just I am really really hoping that we're able to have the Olympics over in Tokyo this summer Uh, because it's it's not just about the champions it's not just about the people that earn the gold medal I love those human stories you know that the the guy who learned to swim like six months ago from Ghana who's like swimming in the Olympics and all these human interest stories that just show us the beauty of, uh, of, of the world. Maybe some of you remember this um, from the 1992 Olympics. They made it into a Nike commercial, so it kind of, um, it kind of became well-known, but there was this British athlete who, who ran track. And he was a 400-meter runner, and he was all set to run in the 1988 Olympics, but he got injured right before. He said I'm not going to give up I'm going to keep training and I'm going to try to make it again and he trained and trained and for three years he, he, he trained and he did really well the summer before the Olympics so he thought this is my chance next summer I'm gonna I'm gonna be up there on the podium I'm gonna have one of those medals he's been training his whole life for this and he gets to Barcelona and he's there's four rounds of the 400 meters. And he's in the third round, the semifinals. He's about to go to the finals and have his shot at the gold medal. And he's doing really well. He's cruising around the bend. It's one lap. And he's halfway through, and and he's in the lead. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he hears a pop. And his hamstring goes. And he crumples to the track and it's, it's gone. He's lying there and he's, he's weeping because he's in so much physical pain and emotional pain because he knows the dream is over. That it's gone. And he's sitting there on the track. The other competitors have already finished, but he's not disqualified because he's still in his lane and he figures, I, I'm gonna finish this race. So he starts hobbling on one leg. And all of a sudden, A man comes down out of the stands. It's his dad. And he even kind of shoulders a security guard. Get out of my way. That's my son. He's got to go be with his son. He's got to help him out. And he puts his arm around him. And the son is just weeping. He's so broken. Everything's gone up in smoke. And his father puts his arm around him. And together they hobble across the finish line. And there's 50,000 people in the stands. The race has been over for three or four minutes now. But everyone is on their feet giving them a standing ovation. Because they finished the race. And his father got him over the finish line. And that's what God does for us. He comes down out of the arena. He comes down onto the track. And he sees us struggling, asking all these questions Have we wasted our life? Are we good enough? What's ever going to make me feel good enough? And he comes alongside and he picks us up. And he enters into our pain. And he enters into the regrets that we have and the shame that we have. And he says, "Clothe myself in, Clothe yourself in my righteousness. Walk with me, even if we have to hobble over the finish line together. I will get you there, not because you're good, but because I'm good. Because I have earned it. And he carries us across that finish line. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That is a picture of Christ's righteousness put upon us. And that is how God sees all of us who believe in him. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you, given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, who always points to Jesus and always reminds us of what he has done. Jesus, you have won the victory. You have lived a perfect life and died a perfect death so that we might live, so that we might be clothed in your righteousness so that we might have salvation and we might be saved. God, we need need more than your help. We need you to be our everything. We need you to remind us again and again that it's not about what we've done or what we've not done. It's not about the regrets in our past. It's about your work on the cross. You have done it. Help us to live a life with a clear conscience before you. Help us to live a life that is truly alive, the life that is truly life. And to have that deep peace that we have your righteousness upon us, that you've forgiven us and given us a new life. God, for all of us this morning that might be questioning or doubting, I pray that you keep reminding us and keep encouraging us and keep challenging us and bring people into our lives that we can be honest, that we can wrestle with these things with And Lord, I pray most of all that you'll give us faith. You'll give us the gift of faith to know and to believe that we are your children clothed in your righteousness forever and ever. Nothing can change that because of Jesus and what he's done. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We live lives of gratitude for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.